If you are of a, of a certain age, or if you're a serious student of football, then you'll know the name Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was one of the great NFL coaches of all time, and he led the Green Bay Packers to three NFL championships and led them to victory in the very first two Super Bowls. Now, Coach Lombardi was successful for many reasons, but one key was that he emphasized the basics. He understood that success in football was built on a foundation of fundamentals, things like precision blocking and tackling, sharply executed pass patterns. He knew that when his players got sloppy with the basics, then they would get sloppy with everything. Now, one particular Sunday, the Packers went out and played a particularly sloppy game. And Coach Lombardi was irate. So when they gathered that next week for practice, he said, Team, this week we go back to the basics. And he held up a football. And he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And one of the team clowns immediately called out, Slow down, Coach, you're going too fast. (laughs) Now, obviously, the team knew what a football was. And obviously, since they all were professional players, they understood the basics. And yet understanding wasn't enough because the previous Sunday, they had not put that knowledge into practice. And Lombardi's purpose that day was to remind them that success is built not just on a foundation of knowing the fundamentals, but executing them well. And after that pep talk, the team went out and had a practice session that was devoted to reminding themselves of the fundamentals of the game. I love that story because it reminds us of the importance of getting down the basics, of mastering the fundamentals, and this is so critical, not just in football, but in every endeavor of life. Accountants can never forget the basics of getting the debits and credits to line up. Electricians never can forget about the importance of of completing the circuit. Musicians have to master musical scales. There's always fundamentals to be grasped, and the same thing is true for the church. And at times, we can get so busy with life, and in fact, at times, we can get busy with church activities that we forget the fundamentals. We forget what it means to be the church. And it seems to me that this problem is compounded by our poor vocabulary because we use the word church to mean different things. We call this building the church. We use that word church in an organizational sense because we are an organization. We have an organizational structure with leaders and budgets and and policies. And yet if we think of the church only as a building or only as an organization, then we miss the most fundamental point. The church is a community. We are designed by God to be a community. But what kind of a community? That's the critical question. 
And to answer that question this morning, we want to gain some insights from one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, a man named John. And in one of his letters to Christians, he helps believers understand what kind of community God wants his church to be. Let's take a look at the little book of 1 John, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify it to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John is talking here about Jesus. But what I want us to see, as I was reading, did you notice how many plural pronouns that John used in just these two short verses? And we need to grasp the importance of this because we live in a highly individualistic culture. Yet there's nothing individualistic about this passage. John is writing about one group the apostles, the leaders of the church. That's the we. That's who he's representing. He is writing from one group and he's writing to another group, the church. That's the you. And we need to hear that word you, not in a personal sense. John is not writing to you and to you and to you and to you. John is writing to you. He's writing to the community of faith. And in his words here, we can glean some principles that help us understand the kind of community that the church is intended to be. And the first thing we see here is that the church is a proclaiming community. The church has a message to share about the life and ministry of Jesus. John calls Jesus here the word of life. And he's saying that the word of life was real. That's part of the message. Jesus lived as a human being so the apostles could see him and touch him and spend time with him. And though he died on a cross, Jesus continues to live now as the eternal God. John says, we're proclaiming to you the eternal life. That's Jesus. And John and the other apostles proclaimed that message. They passed it on. And each generation since has the privilege of proclaiming that same message. The message that God took human form, lived among us, and he died on a cross, and he continues now to live forever. And for more than 2,000 years, the church has continued to faithfully proclaim that message. It's a message that's not based on fiction or myth or fantasy. And the church, we need to see, is not some fad that came and went. The church of Jesus Christ continues to survive and thrive. And it will do so as long as we never forget that we have a unique message to proclaim about Jesus. Now, when we hear that word proclamation, we likely think of it in a verbal context. We think of things like preaching and teaching or 
having a spiritual conversation with another person. And that kind of proclamation is essential. But it's not the only way to share Jesus. We also proclaim Jesus by living a life that models the values of the kingdom of God. And that's why so much of the New Testament focuses on followers like us putting our faith into action by loving God and loving others. Francis of Assisi allegedly once said, preach the good news of Jesus at all times and when necessary use words. Now no one knows if Francis actually said that, but there's a great deal of truth in those words. You see, we proclaim Jesus with our lips and with our lives. And lifestyle proclamation is a big part of our DNA here at Gardenway. And that's because at this point in history, the church and Christianity are not highly valued by our society. And lifestyle proclamation is us is a way for us to gain the attention of our friends and neighbors. It's a way for them to experience the love of God through us. It's a way to open the door to spiritual conversations. And this is why we place so much effort and emphasis on things like KidMax, our weekly after-school ministry to the children that go to Holt Elementary School. That's why we, as a church, do periodic serve days out in the community. And that's why every August, we join with other churches and we participate in Project Hope. On the last weekend of this month, more than five dozen churches from our community are going to partner together. And we're going to touch thousands of lives in this community through Project Hope. It is an amazing ministry that has been gaining momentum for several years, and I'm so excited that we are part of it. There's two aspects to Project Hope. The first takes place on Saturday morning, August 26th, when we will be part of a team over at Bertha Holt Elementary School, our local school, and we're going to help get that school ready for the new year. And we're going to do so by serving. We'll pull weeds, spread bark, power wash sidewalks and pick up trash. And we're going to serve side by side with a variety of people, people from other churches, people from the neighborhood, school staff. It's a way to serve our local school. That's part one. Part two takes place on Sunday afternoon, August 27th, and we'll be part of another team over at North Eugene High School. And we're going to give away backpacks, brand new backpacks full of school supplies. Every kid who comes through will get a new pair of shoes. The lines tend to be long, and while people are waiting line, there will be bounce houses and face painting and food and all kinds of things for people to do. And all of that, all of that is a gift to our community from the church of Jesus Christ. It's a way for us to express our belief that Jesus Christ is alive and that he motivates us to love and serve others. And we want this community to know that they are loved by God and by God's people. Lifestyle proclamation can build relationships that then can lead to spiritual conversations. There's a flyer in your program this morning with more details about Project Hope. 
There's a sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center. And I hope that you will join us for part one, part two, or both parts of Project Hope so that we can join together and proclaim God's love to our community. We want to catch people's attention. We want to get them curious about God as we proclaim Jesus. We want to move them closer to God so they can experience more of his love and become part of his family and experience the transforming love of God's community. There's a reason why we proclaim him, and it's so people can be changed. John writes about that next. Let's continue on in our text. Here's the reason for the proclamation. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John describes the church here as a triangular community. Now, that's not his words. That's my word. But I believe it accurately describes what he's writing about. He's saying that the apostles proclaimed the message of Jesus so that other people could have fellowship with God and with them. In other words, when people respond to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, they become part of this community of faith called the church. And every relationship within this community has three sides. There's one person, there's another person, and then there's God. Jesus is always present in every relationship we have. We never can forget that. And we need to hold these three sides of the triangle in balance and make sure that we're not just socializing nor are we just retreating to be alone and pray. But we are together as followers of Christ, encouraging one another in the life of faith and remembering that in every interaction, Jesus is part of that. John writes this to remind us that we need God and we need each other if we want to stay spiritually healthy. We cannot navigate the life of faith alone. And so when people respond to the proclamation, they are invited into this amazing community where we experience something called fellowship. Now that's a word that's not widely used outside the church, and so it's easily misunderstood. Unfortunately, we sometimes don't use it right. We use it as a churchy word for socializing. But fellowship means something much more than that. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, And it refers to that which we have in common with another person. And so, for example, if two duck football fans get together and spend an afternoon watching the game because they have a mutual love for duck football, that's a form of fellowship. They're sharing an interest they have in common. Now, if duck football is the only thing they have in common... They might have a lot of fun together, but their fellowship would be rather shallow. In the church, our fellowship is based on Jesus. Every person here who is a follower of Jesus Christ knows what it's like to come to that point in life where we recognize that we are sinful people and we are separated from a loving God because of our behavior. 
And in coming to that point, we recognize that God had made a way for us to get connected to him. And it was through Jesus, through his death on the cross. And so we confessed our sins. We told God that we were sorry for how we had lived our life. We expressed our faith through repentance and through baptism. And we let God give us a fresh start in life. Now, what could be more profound than to have that kind of life-changing encounter with the living God as the basis for our fellowship? That is powerful. It's deep. It's life-changing. And it is something that every human being has the opportunity to experience. And all kinds of people from all walks of life choose to respond to that proclamation and become followers of Christ. And as a result, the opportunities for fellowship within this community called the church are amazing because the church attracts an amazing variety of people. I'd like us to think for just a moment about our particular part of God's church, Garden Way. And we're far from perfect, but there are some rather distinctive things about this particular part of God's family that reflect this unique opportunity we have to fellowship with all kinds of people. We're a multi-generational community. We have a church where people of different generations don't just show up to worship together. The people of different generations actually build friendships together and encourage each other in the life of faith. You see, we don't want to let age define us. We're a multi-socioeconomic community. We have some people in this church who do quite well financially. We have others who are skating by and living on the ragged edge. And we have people everywhere in between on the financial spectrum. You see, we don't want money to define us. We're a community of Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Independents because we don't want politics to define us. And we're largely an Anglo community, but we increasingly are learning how to welcome and embrace people of other races and other cultures because we don't want to let ethnicity define us. We want to be defined by Jesus. He's who we have in common. He's who our fellowship is based around. And Garden Way is not unique. We don't usually find such diverse communities elsewhere in our society, but we find them in the church. And when churches are committed to following Jesus, this is who they become. And as we commit ourselves to following Jesus, we increasingly move beyond our own human limitations. We move beyond our own very human likes and dislikes. We increasingly are able to move beyond the characteristics and issues that normally divide people. And instead, we focus on Jesus and fellowship with God and his people. And this aspect 
of our life together as a community of faith. This idea of unity because Jesus is in our midst, because Jesus is present in every relationship. This is so vital to grasp. That's why John writes about it. He wants the church to get it. And he says, oh, I'm writing this because that will make my joy complete. He said, we, the apostles, we will be full of joy if you get this. When we unite because of Jesus, and when we refuse to let other differences divide us. It truly is a joyful experience. It's a joy because it's transforming and it's joyful because we recognize that that kind of unity is not something we can achieve on our own. We only can do it with God's help. When we respond to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, we are formed by God into this unique triangular community where we can fellowship with all kinds of people. And the only way that this community can be formed and the only way it can be maintained in a healthy way is through honesty. We need to learn to be honest with God and honest with each other about who we are. John talks about that next. Let's continue on in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John uses the terms light and darkness here to paint a very vivid picture about what it means to be properly connected with God and his people. Light represents truth and knowledge. Darkness represents ignorance and lies. Darkness obscures while light reveals. And we experience light when we have fellowship with God and with each other. And we experience darkness when our fellowship with God and others is broken. And darkness loves to hide behind the wall of deceit. And dishonesty can manifest itself in all kinds of ways, but here is one of the most common ways that darkness invades the church through dishonesty. We convince ourselves that good Christians never mess up. We convince ourselves that good Christians never sin, and so we then hide our sins from each other. And it's a lie. John says it's a lie to pretend that we're perfect and sinless. It's a lie because before we got connected to Jesus, we were unrepentant and unforgiven sinners. And after we get connected to Jesus, we are forgiven sinners who still at times struggle with sin. And it simply is part of the human condition to fall short of what God expects of us. And at times we all engage in behavior that is harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. 
And I think it's a very safe bet that every person in this room, myself included, sinned in some way during this past week. We did something that wasn't right. We had an unpure thought. We said something inappropriate or unpleasant. We were devious with the truth. The list can go on and on. We sin. And the good news is that Jesus is here to help us overcome the areas of life where we fall short. He shed his blood on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And he's given us the fellowship of this amazing community called the church. This unique triangular community where Jesus is present in every relationship. He's given us this community so that we can help each other, so that we can continually grow and together conquer sinful behavior. But that won't happen if we hide behind dishonesty. And so we need to be honest with God and we need to be honest with each other about our weaknesses. And I'm not implying that I think we should turn the church into a reality TV show where we just spill all our junk all the time to everybody we see. What I do think is that when we're struggling, We need to find somebody within this community of faith who can listen to us, pray with us and for us, and encourage us. Help us to overcome that area where we're struggling. And one of the sad things that I see is when people start to trip and fall and stumble in their spiritual life, one of the immediate things they do is they pull back from the church. They retreat from the very community that God has given to help us. And so when we struggle with sin, when we struggle with temptation, that's the very time not to pull back, but to be part of this community and to ask for help. And when we see someone who's struggling, we can't hold back. In love, we need to come alongside them, to pray with them, to support them, and to encourage them. And to remember that in those moments, it's not our role to criticize or judge, but to help. Jesus talked about that issue at length, as we saw last week in part of his Sermon on the Mount. Reminding us that we are not here to judge others. We're here to help each other. We're here to help each other move past our sinfulness so we all can experience the ongoing richness of what it means to be part of this community of continually forgiven sinners. John is pointing this out to remind us that forgiveness is one of the most fundamental aspects of our community. It lies at the very heart of who we are. And he emphasizes that in the last couple of verses of chapter 1. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. When we want to respond to the message that's been proclaimed, And when we're honest with God about our sins, that's when we can be forgiven and get a fresh start in life. 
So without forgiveness, there really can be no fellowship with God. There can be no fellowship with one another. There can be no experience of spiritual community. And this, to me, is one of the most interesting, unusual, and distinctive things about the church of Jesus Christ. Think about other kinds of communities that we have in our world. Many of you are going to get up tomorrow and go off to work. That place of work is a kind of community. And who's there? People who can contribute to making a profit. You have a set of skills, you add value to the company, the company earns a profit, everybody gets a paycheck. That's fine. But that's the purpose. Think about a service organization that is built around people who share a passion for a cause. And here we sit, the Church of Jesus Christ, and we are built around forgiven people. Forgiveness is not essential to any other community, but it is essential to the church. We are birthed as a community out of forgiveness. We are rooted in forgiveness, and we must strive to maintain forgiveness. And a lack of forgiveness, it breaks down our community because unforgiveness breaks our fellowship with God and our fellowship with each other. And when we take seriously the forgiveness that we've experienced through Jesus, and then that when we extend that to each other, it keeps our community strong and healthy. And a strong and healthy community of faith is in a position then to fulfill God's purposes. The purpose of proclaiming the message. The message of forgiveness. Forgiveness offered to everyone through Jesus Christ, the living God. The God that John knew personally. The God who still lives. We've tried to capture the essence of all of this in our church mission statement that's printed on the wall out there in the lobby. It says to know him, to love him, to share him. That summarizes the kind of community that we're striving to be. And we can fulfill that mission as we embrace and as we live out these fundamental principles that John has laid out here in this part of his letter. Proclamation. Letting our lives and our lips tell people about Jesus. Triangular fellowship, focusing on encouraging each other in the faith and never losing sight of the fact that Jesus is part of every relationship and interaction. Honesty, not hiding behind a facade of deceit, but being honest with God and with others in the church about how we're doing. And forgiveness, never taking God's forgiveness for granted. Extending that forgiveness to others and inviting people who are far from God to come into this community and experience the rich forgiveness that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, depending upon where you find yourself in your own spiritual journey today, I'd like to suggest three different ways that you can respond to what John has written. And first, if you've never taken that initial step of faith to get connected to Jesus, why not, why not do that today? 
And you can invite Christ into your life by simply acknowledging that you've fallen short of God's expectations. And you can demonstrate your desire to follow Jesus. You can put your first step of faith into action by choosing to be baptized and letting God give you a new life, a fresh start. And you can become part of God's family and experience this rich fellowship that John has described. I know that some of you have been wondering about making a formal commitment and becoming a member of Garden Way. I hope that what you've heard here encourages you, and if so, I want to invite you to take that step of faith and join with us so that together we can fulfill God's, God's purposes and experience the rich fellowship that comes from being part of a committed church family. And if you're interested in becoming a follower of Jesus or joining the church, I want to invite you to just speak with me after the service. I will be out in the lobby. I'd love to talk with you more about that. And then for most of us who already are a committed part of this church, I think this, this passage offers a different challenge. It's an opportunity for us to think about our own involvement with and our own connection to this community of faith. So I believe we each need to prayerfully wrestle with this question. In these foundational areas of proclamation, fellowship, honesty, and forgiveness, where do I need to grow? And as we grow, and as we each play our part, we can help our church increasingly become the kind of community that God wants us to be. And together, we will make a difference. We'll see the difference in our lives. We'll see the difference in the lives of people around us. And we'll see the difference in our community. We just need to remember to embrace and live out the fundamentals of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ.